The world is ever changing and sometimes we just need a helping hand. Hey, it's one more about the Rama. New apps here, new tech there, it's all very exciting. But it's nice to have something you can count on. Like insurance from State Farm. ¿Tienes preguntas sobre tu seguro? Con State Farm puedes llamar a tu agente o conectar con ellos. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're anything like me, you're booked and busy. From family duties and work responsibilities to catching up on your favorite shows and podcasts. Yes, like Wrestling with Freddie. With me, Freddie Prince Jr. With all the responsibilities we have, it's always nice to have someone in your corner. That's why State Farm is there for you with your auto and home insurance needs, helping you protect the things you love and helping you save money. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. State Farm, proud sponsor of the Michael Tura Podcast Network. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Custard TV podcast. It is me once again, Matt. Luke actually was going to be on the podcast this week, but he is uh, very poorly at the moment, uh, which does explain uh, why the site hasn't been updated. And uh, apologies to anyone who was eagerly awaiting the podcast in their podcast feed. When it normally comes out, we were a couple of days behind getting that out as well. And um, I was on editing duties, which explains why it was a little bit uh, rough. But I did put out the bat signal for some uh, guests to join us sort of a little bit more last minute than normal. And thankfully, I have two people who answered the call. And only after later did I realise that their names fit together in one amorphous blob. So it's Mofi is on the call today. <laughs> Sophie Davis, Mo Walker, welcome. How are we guys? Hello, I'm good, thanks. You've given us like a couple name, which seems a bit weird. <laughs> This could be a podcast. Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. This is the Custard TV Podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com Let's do some plugs straight away. Let's start with Mo, because you haven't been on for a, for a while. Let everybody know about your podcast. Have we had a new episode out recently? I am do the Geek Confidential podcast. We also have a Luke on that mm. show as well. There was an episode in which Luke uh, had a guest on from a Moon Knight specific podcast to discuss the first episode of Moon Knight. We had a podcast uh, recently talking about our top, our favorite uh, Batman in film, television, and other media. We had a podcast on uh, Picard and Halo. So we've been doing a number of podcasts recently and we hope to be recording some more soon now sophie has a an s club 7 podcast mo were you aware of s club 7 at all yes <laughs> and actually they used to show s club 7 over here in the states we'd get it on one of our linear channels abc uh which was it was part of a package deal for like a saturday morning show so yes i i was aware of s club 7 yeah so you watched did you watch the show as well yeah, no, no, I, I watched it. I, I wouldn't say I was a faithful watcher, but I did watch the show, you know, so I could feel cool. <laughs> or, or at least figure out what, what, what the definition of cool So, So Sophie's podcast will be right up your street then, really. I think you've got a new listener there. Yeah, the TV show seemed to have aired in quite a lot of different countries. And we've talked about this on my podcast before, how a lot of Americans are only really aware of S Club 7 via the TV show and don't really know the music. Whereas in the UK, it's very much the opposite. Like everyone has like collectively forgotten the TV show and we just remember like Reach for the Stars. I, I watch um, a YouTube channel about one hit wonders and I believe S Club only had one big hit, didn't they, over in the States? Yeah, I think I've seen a similar video, Todd yeah. in the Shadows yeah, or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a, a bit of a, a shock when you're a British person and you've realised S Club 7 are not that big around the world. But yeah, the TV show is like 50-something episodes long, four series altogether. It was, a, it was a time to be alive. And your podcast, Sophie, what's it called? It's an S-Pod thing, and we're, we've just finished Series 3, so there's going to be a bit of a break before Series 4 if people want to catch up. There you go, Mo. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I have time to catch up. <laughs> Talking telly on the Custard TV podcast. Doesn't that sound exciting to you? Let's do it! Ready? Here we go. 
on the podcast today, we will be covering uh, the second season of Russian Doll. Uh, that is uh, Natasha Leone's. I was going to say sitcom, but it's not really, is it? I don't know how you'd sort of define it, really. Comedy drama, maybe? The first episode of the seventh series of Inside Number Nine. New comedy drama Chivalry from Channel 4, starring Steve Coogan and Sarah Solmani. And The Sex Lives of College Girls, which is, again, a comedy drama, I would say. Uh, Originally on HBO Max in the States, and it has now come over here. And it's on ITV2, which is a bit of an odd choice, but we'll get to that. Uh, We'll start then with uh, Russian Doll. This is um, on Netflix. First aired in 2019. Now, Sophie, did you you watch this, didn't you, at the time? Am I right in that? Yes, I watched this and reviewed it at the time. And yeah, I think like a lot of people, I was a little bit sceptical when season two was announced because season Mm. one felt like such a complete thing with such a perfect ending. You kind of thought, how are they going to continue this? Where are they going to go? But I've watched all of season two now and I think it stands up really well i think i enjoyed it almost as much as series one and mo you said to me that you didn't get through all the season one is there any particular reason for that i just feel like there were just certain aspects of season one that it, it just didn't connect with me um oh, okay. I, I, yeah i liked the premise and, and it, it was just like there was just something maybe it would particularly those first two episodes um just didn't really connect with me and so i tried i got through three before I right. That is I always get... the thing with people on this, because did you get to Alan? No, I did not no. get to Alan. Because I think, yeah. that, and I don't know if you agree with me, Sophie, that Alan sort of changes it a little bit, doesn't he, the character of Alan? Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think season one did take a while to get going. And yeah, how much you enjoy the first few episodes is kind of how much you enjoy Natasha Leone and her performance. Um, I think that's one advantage of season two, really. It does kind of get into it a bit quicker, mm. I guess, because we already know the characters from season one. Um, season two, I think it does sort of like the action starts a lot earlier on. That's, guess I guess, one thing that's perhaps better about season two. But again, I mean, I've I've up to episode five. I don't know, Mo, have you watched? How many have you watched? I've watched two of uh... two because again, Alan's story doesn't really start until like the fourth episode. Yeah, <laughs> so I do feel a bit sorry for for that character because actually I think he changed. He sort of softened the show a bit. His character I found was a lot more sort of relatable in a way. Yeah, so... it is very like the Natasha Leone show, and Alan mm. is kind of secondary. <laughs> and Alan. Um... Yeah. <laughs> so the first series was all set on the night of her thirty sixth birthday. And it was essentially Groundhog Day. She died and, and came back to the same night and sort of had to work out why that was happening. And then halfway through that series, as we said, we were introduced to Alan, who was going through a very similar experience. He was reliving the exact same day as well. And they then met each other and were trying to work out why it was happening. We um, meet up with Nadia um, around four years later. It's build up to her 40th birthday. Uh, this time she gets on the subway quite early on, as Sophie said, the plot kicks in almost straight away and she goes back uh, 40 years to 1982, quickly realises she's inhabiting the body of her pregnant mother, who is played by uh, Chloe Savigny. By and by, she sort of has to work out why am I back here? And it's all surrounding um, a mystery of these gold coins that belong to her family, uh, belong to her grandma stolen by her mother and this whole mystery goes on and she goes back further and further and again there's a subplot with Alan who also goes on a train finds himself in East Germany in the 1970s I think inhabiting the body of his grandmother. Mo can I start with you and just get your sort of feelings on obviously not having watched all of the series watching this second series what what are your sort of initial thoughts? Actually, I, I really liked the setup from the second series. I thought it was very straightforward. Uh, as Sophie had mentioned, you jump into the action immediately. You do get enough of Alan in the first two episodes, at least enough to to know to establish that relationship. And it did help as well that Netflix uh, provided the sort of previously on and summarized the, the f- first season. So I, I, I feel like I had enough information. I love the relationship between 
Nadia and Ruth. Honestly, it it made me feel like, yeah, I can really enjoy the second season without having even finished the first season at all. And what were your thoughts? Because this is sort of very sort of genre heavy and it sort of fits in your wheelhouse a little bit, I think. So did, did you enjoy the concept? Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, yeah, it's definitely something that fits in my wheelhouse. The notion of time travel, jumping in other bodies, very quantum leap-ish. It's also somewhat grounded because, you know, it, it really is. It's just Nadia's goal is to find these coins, try to mend her mother and her grandmother's relationship. I do. I did find it hilarious that um, she almost hooked up with one of her boy, her mother's exes, Chaz. I mean, just 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 very quirky characters, very likable characters. Young Ruth, I thought that her story was was really interesting, and that um, she gets keep being pulled into things, even though you know she's just going through um, the death of her her late husband. So it was very compelling. Sophie, I mean, me, myself and yourself had watched the first season, but I struggled to remember a lot about it because it over three years since we last had it. Obviously, we've had a pandemic since then. And I, for example, didn't really remember the character of Ruth, had to sort of re-familiarise myself with that character. You know, did you remember much about the first series? Have you gone back to it since? Um, yeah, I watched the recap on Netflix mm. as well. That was helpful. And I think it did help as well that at the time when I watched season one, I reviewed it. So I watched it more uh. than once. So I don't think I'm like the average person. I'm not sure how much the average person will sort of remember it having seen it three years ago. Um, I think it feels like a good progression from season one, though. Like in season one, it was very much about nadia and alan and you know stuff going on in their personal lives and then in season two it's kind of about family like going back into her family history with her mother and her grandmother and this whole sort of question of whether she can actually change anything in the past or whether it's all just like she's just living through it and nothing she does will actually affect it um yeah i just found it really interesting still really inventive it feels a bit more kind of sprawling than season one, mm. I think. Like, it, and sometimes a little bit messy, but it never really lost me. Like, I, I still just found it really like compelling throughout the whole thing. And I think Natasha Leon is brilliant and always just really funny. Just really cool as well, I thought. Yeah, I could just, just ha- watch her kind of strutting around New York, smoking, just like mm. talking to herself. I could just watch half an hour of that, to be honest. She has like a very unique way of walking almost, doesn't she? She's sort of a very <laughs> physical presence. All of her is very quirky, I think. Yeah, because when she moves, it feels like, especially when she's walking down a block, it feels like she's taking up the whole sidewalk. And that folks, p- passerby, seem to, they, you know, they just move around her and she doesn't move for anyone yeah i i found it hilarious that she takes a phone book from a phone booth and you know it it is just you know thinking about how to you know okay i want to get this information it's the 80s i use a phone booth but a phone book but it doesn't work so i have to go to 2022 to use do a Google search. Um, it's, it's just it's just funny in terms of like just her thinking strategically in terms of the technology that's in 1982 versus the technology that's in 2022 and how that can aid her. As it goes on as well, and I quite like this. It's sort of each episode builds on what happened before, and um, Sophie doesn't it? And we get more and more sort of flashbacks into time and forward through time. Did that work for you? Yeah, that was a a good, I don't want to sort of, you know, spoil it if anyone hasn't watched the whole thing. But yeah, she doesn't just go to 1982. She goes to other times as well, Mm. which was a nice surprise when that happened. And I really love the soundtrack in this series as well. I think that particular moment happens. And I think the um, that 99 Red Balloons song is playing Mm. Um, like, yeah, really good use of music. And it just looks really stunning as well. It's a lot more globe trotting this season as well mm. like that they go to like budapest and there's some stuff in east germany a lot more german than i was expecting as yeah, a Hungarian. So, so yeah as someone who studied german i was like oh this is interesting i wasn't <laughs> expecting this yeah i suppose it, it keeps you on your toes doesn't it and i think the the alan subplot as well i obviously you've watched all of it and i'm sort of two episodes off finishing it 
but I don't know if those two timelines merge at all because they've both got that German connection. The end, I don't know if you remember, Sophie, the end of episode five, I thought was sort of really visually spectacular, where she's going through the train. Do you remember that yeah. scene? Yeah, and going just, through the carriages. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I think it is just totally unique, I think. And it's something that you can't put in a box. You know, it's not just a straight comedy. It's got sort of sci-fi elements. It's very dramatic at points, you know, looking at relationship between her and her mother, her mother and her grandmother, the same with Alan and his family lineage and the fact that they're, you know, both from immigrant families as well. So there's that element to it. There's a lot going on. I think it does it sort of effortlessly. A lot of that is on Natasha Leone's performance. And I know she sort of wrote and directed about half of the series as well. I'm just thinking maybe I should try to power through the first series, mm. especially if things pick up once you once you meet Alan and mm. and I'm actually familiar with that actor from some other things he, he's previously done and I, I kinda and I liked him a bit. So um yeah, that that was those were my final thoughts. Yeah. So you're gonna are you sort of thinking I'll go back to that and then finish this, Mo? Is that where sort of where you are? I'm probably just gonna finish series yeah. two first. Yeah. And then when I find the time go mm. back because i'm on a you know i'm on that train yeah um but yeah the the i think episode four is that that sort of alan centric episode where things turn and i think i remember at the time myself and luke were very keen for people who were like you put off by that almost like jarring nature of not because it's a very sort of bohemian world isn't it that nada and her friends inhabit but I think that changes when you get Alan and he's very much a sort of straight, almost like a straight-laced character as you get um, from the episodes you've watched so far. I'm sure you picked up on that. There's just so much going on. It's so hard to just sort of surmise it. It's such a unique show and I, I'm glad it sort of maintained that aspect of it. And check it out for yourself if you haven't seen it. Uh, it is all on Netflix now. We then come to uh, Inside Number Nine. This is the first episode of the seventh series. Sophie is a, a big fan of, of the show and the creators, so I will hand over to her to sort of sum up, sum up this first episode and maybe sort of her history with the show. So, yeah, this is Series 7 of Inside Number 9 now. Um, this first episode is kind of a League of Gentlemen reunion because Mark Gatiss is in it. Um, mm. These We've got these three men meeting up for university or a sort of university reunion where they're going to just sort of take a pedalo around a lake uh reese shearsmith's character has invited the other two men and it seems like he's very sort of attached to the past looking back at university as you know the glory days whereas the other two men have perhaps moved on a bit more and aren't remembering a lot of the stories he's telling them about uni like oh remember when we did that remember when we did that and the other two guys are kind of like not really like he's sort of holding on a bit too much um and another kind of spanner in the works is that steve pemberton's character has brought along his new girlfriend because he thinks it's going to be a big party with lots of people and that's what he's told her um so obviously she's not very happy that they are just like four people in a boat and I guess the tension really is like, why has Reese Shearsmith's character invited them there? You know, is there some sort of ulterior motive? Because it's inside number nine, I was watching it thinking, is he going to murder them? Is that why he's invited <laughs> them here? That's what you kind of expect from, you know, these Reese Shearsmith characters. You know, there's going to be something dodgy going on. Um, and also the other sort of tension of, you know, these guys haven't seen each other for a very long time. Are they going to get on well or is it all going to become a big argument on this little boat that they're stuck on? Which is the number nine. It's the pedal, isn't it? Yeah, I listened to um, the Inside Inside Number Nine podcast that comes out on BBC Sounds after every episode. And they pointed out that it's the first Inside Number Nine outdoors, this one, apparently, mm. which I hadn't realised. If you're anything like me, you're booked and busy. From family duties and work responsibilities to catching up on your favorite shows and podcasts. Yes, like Wrestling with Freddie, with me, Freddie Prinze Jr. With all the responsibilities we have, it's always nice to have someone in your corner. That's why State Farm is there for you with your auto and home insurance needs. Helping you protect the things you love and helping you save money. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. State Farm. 
proud sponsor of the Michael Tura Podcast Network. We started our company, Girls Who Do Interiors, before we even graduated design school. And we turned to Chase for Business to build along with us. They had everything from banking to payment acceptance to credit cards all in one place. And with the Chase mobile app, our business is wherever we are. It's made for business owners who build to inspire. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Real customers compensated. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and a member of FDIC. Yeah, I'm just looking back and I think, yeah, there's been elements, haven't there, where they've been outside, but not for the whole episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got boat number nine. <laughs> you are right, very ambitious, but in the, in the same way, not it is very sort of contained in this boat with these four characters. And were you happy for, for to see the reunion? I know they did a similar one in Psychoville, didn't they, where it was just the three actors in a room. Obviously, this is the first time Mark Gatiss has been on this, which is quite sort of surprising to a lot of people. But I think they were kind of waiting for the right role to cast him in. And because this episode is about a reunion, that's what made them think of him. So it kind of works on those two levels, really, where, you know, you know the actors' histories together. I think within Sun Number 9, they usually start each series with an episode that's got quite a big ensemble cast. So Mm. this was like a nice surprise for me because it's just the four of them. It feels very sort of intimate. I guess maybe they chose it as a as an opener because of the whole Mark Gatiss, you know, League of Gentlemen thing. Um, but yeah, it was a nice one for me to start with because they're different from what they usually do, I guess. Yeah, and and Mo, I know you came on with us, didn't you, to review an Inside Number Nine before? I think it was the one uh, with the showrunner and the and the sci-fi show, the one that had uh, Nick Mohammed in it. Had you gone to watch any more after that, or was that is this your second episode of Inside Number Nine today? So no, I'd I'd gone back and watched a couple other episodes and uh, Inside Number Nine, and I did, and and ironically, it was the first episode of Series Six that I was on for. The, given the setup, I was ex- expecting uh, someone to kill someone on the boat, but. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really get. I didn't get that. I was glad because it it, it defied my expectations. <laughs> I I suppose the other thing is we did have this character sort of lurking in the in the bushes, didn't we? Who I think we saw at the very start. You, you're right, Sophie. That it is like having these three actors back together to play these reunited characters, and you've got Shearsmith's character, I believe, Lawrence, who is still teaching at the university where they all went and as you say is very much hanging on to the past. Pemberton is playing the sort of the Larry one who uh, dropped out of university, uh, is writing a, a children's book and has got this, uh, Diane Morgan plays the girlfriend and I thought she she added, you know, she didn't feel out of place I suppose did she in the uh, among these three actors who know each other very well. Mo, what did you make of the, of the twist without giving it away? Because as you said, you know, the, the one you watched with us previously ended quite gruesomely. Did you, did you think the twist worked here? or? Yeah, I think the, tw- the twist really did work here. I think that the setup just we're just all stuck in our own shit and everything. And, <laughs> and, and I think and we're just kind of swimming through it. And, and so, you know, we have, you know, we have these moments where we are able to connect with old friends and then we kind of lose touch because we're busy just living our lives and it's hard to reconnect sometimes and i I think it it really did i think on that level connect with me the donna character by diana morgan i think she provided a, a good balance because otherwise i think it just the three of them on that boat i i i feel like she added a bit uh injected a bit of energy and was it was it was her life was very diametrically opposed to them in the terms of how she felt about her own life whereas the three of them felt like stuck or they weren't particularly happy or or whatnot and sophie where do you think this sort of stacks up among like the the inside number nine canon do you think this is like one of the higher quality episodes yeah, I think so. I mean, there's been so many episodes now. People mm. always come up with these lists, don't they, of like every episode of Inside Number Nine ranked, and there's just mm. so many now. It's it's difficult. I think this is definitely up there. It's not like, you know, a new favourite for me, but it's definitely up there, I think. And, you know, 
really good to see Mark Gatiss in it as well. That was nice. Um, yeah, looking forward to seeing what's coming up in the rest of the series. I know that the next episode is set in a classroom, so that's something mm. a bit different again. Despite being outdoors, it is very much a static episode, isn't it? Because they are literally stuck in this boat the entire time. So whereas as so- some of the other episodes, you know, you go forward in time quite a lot. You've got characters moving around, coming in and out. This is literally these four people stuck in a boat for half an hour. So it did, to me, feel more like a a half-hour play a little bit. Yeah, it felt very grounded. And, yeah, the twist at the end, I think it didn't feel kind of too outlandish Mm. because there's always the risk of that, like, if the twist happens and it maybe negates a bit of the episode slightly i don't think that's something they do very often but you know every now and again you kind of think oh that was a bit silly i could have done without the twist Mm. Um, but i think it did work well there was a bit of ambiguity to it slightly as Mm, well i was going to say the the you you don't really know what happened to the majority of the characters at the end do you You can sort of make it up yourself but i think they still had that that element of levity that mo was talking about mainly through Diane Morgan and and it's interesting you say that she brought a balance because the character didn't bring a balance to that but mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I thought there was enough humor in here I did like the line um what was it if life gives you melons then you might be dyslexic mm-hmm. yeah I, li- um, I liked um Diane Morgan asking Mark Gatiss if he's been in five guys and he says oh <laughs> <laughs> That's did you get that Mo do you know what five guys is yeah, we, I have a five guys. Oh, is, that an, is it an American thing as well? Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm never sure with um, brands whether they translate over to America oh. or the, um We had in our local paper recently, our area is getting its first Taco Bell. So there you go. That's how slowly we move sometimes in the UK. Uh, there's one in London, but I've not heard good things about it. <laughs> well, I was going to say, that may not be a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, inside number nine, it can sort of vary in quality. I know Luke especially wasn't a big fan of a lot of the, the episodes we got last series. I don't know. You, I think, reviewed them, didn't you, for us, Sophie, last series? Um, do, we, yeah. do you still think it's sort of maintained that pace? Do you think it's maybe they're running out of ideas? Where where do you, how do you feel? Because it's an anthology show. There's always, you know, some episodes that I enjoy more than others. But I think that's always been the case with Inside Number Nine. I don't think it's like, oh, the first few series were solid gold. And since then, it's been more of a mixed bag. I think it's always been kind of a mixed bag. Mm. Um, but with, you know, I, I love Reese Smith and Steve Pemberton. I think they're really brilliant writers. And if an episode does come up that I'm not as into... I usually do still find it interesting in some way. There's usually some funny lines or interesting concepts. Like, yeah, as you said, I I reviewed the last series for the website and the final Mm. episode, which was the sort of Brexit Jesus Mm. episode. That's one of my, possibly my least favourite episode. But even reviewing it, I found there was a lot to say about the kind of themes of it Mm. and, you know, what they were trying to do. And, you know, I'm not going to rewatch that one particularly, but I don't look back on it and think, oh, that was a load of rubbish. It just wasn't really my sort of thing. And it was a bit much for me. I think, as you said, a lot of the times it's sort of sticking the landing, isn't it, with with Inside Number Nine, because... I found there was a lot of episodes that I really liked. And then it was the one where the 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 video, you know, the six characters on video. And I think they had like yeah. Phil Davis in that episode. And that was really good until the the twist. I felt it sort of fell off a cliff there. It, that's the thing, isn't it? I think people expect, don't they, a twist as well from Shearsmith and Pemberton. And actually ones that have a more minor twist like this one, for example, or... I don't know if you remember Love's Great Adventure, the one with the yeah. advent calendar. And and that was really just like a half an hour slice of this family's life. And I thought that was one of the, the best ones because they sort of steered away, steered away you know, the, the macabre elements that people sort of expect from them in a way. Yeah, I really like the karaoke episode. And that's one that's got quite a light tone to it. And there wasn't any sort of 
dark twist at all um, and that's like in my top 10 I would say I'm looking at all the episodes now and I think my least favorite series overall is series five and that's the one that they won the BAFTA for so it's all just personal taste what, I guess which so series five was that the one with the, the, the football the, yeah the football yeah. one the Psychoville episode yeah. the one you just mentioned mm. which was the sort of kitchen sink drama the magicians one the other one you just mentioned with Maxine Peake and the oh, yeah, yeah. talking to the cameras and then the police one. Um, oh, yeah. And, and again, looking at it, there are some episodes in there that I really love. But I think overall, for me, the balance was a bit more miss than hit. And mm. then, yeah, they won the BAFTA. So I appreciate I enjoyed them winning it. But I felt a bit like, oh, really? <laughs> for that series? Yeah, Maybe it's just it, sometimes it's like, here's this for all the series, but we're just... Yeah. Giving it to you for this one. Have you got a favourite of Inside Number Nine? Or uh, I think my top two would probably be. I really love A Quiet Night in yeah. and Bernie Clifton's Dressing Room. Yeah, yeah, which the... are weirdly the ones that are kind of very like the two of them and not many mm. other people. Um, I also really liked the episode that you guys reviewed last time, the one with the kind of obsessive fan. Mm which again is very just the two of them for most of it. So I don't know why I like those ones so much. Um, but yeah, I think those are ones that are up there for me. Quiet Night In, Mo. I don't know if you've checked that one out, if that was on the list Link sent you, which is basically that it's a silent episode, more or less. There's no dialogue in it. Yeah, it's like two burglars trying to rob a house while the owners are in. So they're trying to be as quiet as possible. And that's kind of like the reason why it's silent. <laughs> no, no, that I haven't seen that one. That's the fun one. That's episode two of, of the yeah the first series. Yeah, and I think maybe the two you mentioned as well are sort of quite simplistic, aren't they? Really, there's the two of them, and the Bernie Clifton's dressing room one is possibly like the most emotional episode that they've done. I think. Yeah, and I guess there's an element to that one as well, where it's mm. kind of you know it's about a double act who've been working together for a long time. Mm. So like it's kind of resonates with the two of them like if you're a fan of Reese and Steve you can kind of appreciate that um looking at the list as well I absolutely love the Halloween episode just for the whole experience mm. of watching it live we really fell out over that me Luke oh, no. <laughs> did, did you both watch it live at I mean, the time none of us watched it live but I oh. think I was the one who enjoyed it the most I think it's one of those things where you had to be there at mm. the time because, yeah, I'm really glad I watched it live. I'm not sure how much rewatch value there is in that one. I haven't really gone back to it. But on the night, it was like an absolute roller coaster of emotions. Because if I remember, it was on a Sunday night. So I think I went to bed quite early and then watched it as soon as I got back from work. So I don't think I had any of it spoiled for me or anything like that. But Yeah, um, I was lucky. Yeah, to me, I still enjoyed it, even though I hadn't watched it live. But I, I do get that there is more. There was more to it if you had watched it live, because uh, they very much played with that. Um, but yeah, and f I think for me though, Twelve Days of Christine is still up there. Um, yeah. Even though they're very much background players in that, aren't they? I do like it, and but that's perhaps why it's not one of my like absolute top ones. But yeah, it is a really emotional one, and Sheridan Smith is great in it. I, I believe it's weekly, isn't it, inside number nine? I don't think it's all up on yeah. the iPlayer. Which is uh, shows how much sort of reverence I think that the BBC has for it, uh, because now most things go up on the iPlayer. So I think they have that trust in, in Pemberton and Shearsmith that each episode will be almost like a talking point on its own. Yeah. And I think maybe that's why they don't rush it all up on, on the iPlayer. But yeah, so uh, we have now another comedy drama and we shift our focus over to Mo, who will run us through Chivalry, which is uh, Steve Coogan and Sarah Solmani both starring and writing. I've actually been looking forward to this since I first heard about how this show stars uh, Steve, Steve Coogan as uh, Cameron, who is a Hollywood executive who's knee deep in a film that is plagued by some issues uh some me too type issues and he has to bring in and more or less nudged into bringing in uh sarah samani's character bobby who is this breakout uh director because of this uh film mother of god which is her yeah. breakout film and she is brought in to just kind of help 
steer things in the right direction or as Wanda Sykes, who also stars in this, as Gene likes to say, we want to get that Middle Eastern money so we can continue to make big budget superhero films. Uh, So you can also make your small films. Naturally, Cameron is a more of a traditional Hollywood executive. He he has going through assistance. His his previous assistant also was his wife, who broke up with him on uh, through WhatsApp. I believe his his life partner. I think they used that phrase. And she's twenty (laughs) five. Almost twenty five. Almost not quite twenty five. The two naturally clash and makes things worse is is that uh, Sienna Miller's character, who's the star of of the film A Little Death has some history with uh, Steve Coogan's Cameron and is just constantly bringing up these events in which Cameron hit on her or just there was some inappropriate behavior on Cameron's part. And and, then Cameron is just constantly trying to say, well, that didn't happen in that quite, that quite of a context and so forth. And, and so Bobby and, and Sarah, you would naturally think that the two characters would work together and see each other as, as two strong women in Hollywood, that there's these interesting clashes even between them because Bobby is the stereotypical woke liberal. She has a, uh, a, a mixed race child with her partner, Ashton, you know, her, her partner Ashton is calling in the midst of her uh, directing, uh, trying to di- get the film back on track about the type of yogurt their son Deck your home with blinds.com. DIY or let us install. Free design consultation. Plus free samples and free shipping. Ho, ho, ho! Blinds.com invented a better way to buy custom high-quality window treatments with no showroom mock-ups or waiting around for quotes from pushy salespeople, saving you time and money for the holidays with upfront pricing right on our website. Go right now to Blinds.com. Satisfaction guaranteed. Satisfaction guaranteed. Shop Blinds.com's Green Monday sale. Get up to 45% off plus doorbuster deals. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay, then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today. Their son is eating and you get some appearances by some Hollywood actors. I really liked it. It felt in the vein of episodes is what it really reminded me of. And it it just brings you back into that sort of Hollywood frame of mind. Is this airing somewhere on your side of the pond now? Not yet. It does feel like a co-production, you know, like as you mentioned episodes and I wrote that down as well. It felt very much like that. Uh, to me and obviously it being set in Hollywood you would expect it to have some sort of you know US element to it like a, a, a network already sort of signed up for it I watched the second one as well because um, Channel 4 have put it all up on all four after the first episode aired Sophie were you compelled to to watch another episode at all or so I watched four of these last okay. night <laughs> but that's not necessarily I mean I really like Sarah Soleimani. I really like Steve Coogan. And the reason why I watched four is because Mm. I really wanted to give this a chance and I was finding it difficult to decide what I really thought about it. But I eventually came to the conclusion I don't really like this at all. (laughs) Um, I, I, I like the back and forth between the two of them. I think that's where the show is at its strongest. And I think the first two episodes are the best ones. And for me, after that, it's where it kind of went off the rails a little mm. bit. The setting, it feels to me a little bit like Toast of Tinseltown, where <laughs> it's set in Hollywood, but it's clearly been shot mostly in the UK. Loads of the supporting characters are people doing American accents, like there's uh, Lolly Adafope, 
Ashling B is in the second mm-hmm. episode, Richard Fleishman, Peter Mullen shows up oh, in really? episode three <laughs> as a sort of Hollywood exec. And the accents are fine. Is he doing an American quite, accent? Peter yeah. Mullen. Literally, like, every character is, like, a British person doing an American accent. And I think the accents are fine. Uh, You know, I don't really know. Mo might be able to say more about that. But, like, I just found it a bit distracting. Um, And I think, as you said before, there's a bit in episode one where Paul Rudd has a bit of a cameo, which feels like it could have been something out of extras. And that was really funny. But then in episode two... John C. Riley shows up for a few lines, but he's not playing himself. He's playing a character. So that's a bit odd. And the, yeah, the first two episodes are very much on the set. And I think that's where mm. I enjoyed it more, where it's kind of funny things happening on the set, funny conversations happening. Episode three and four, they're not really on the set anymore. And nice. like another weird thing is that her husband seems really nice in the first three episodes. And then in episode four, he's suddenly really awful and they are like splitting up, which felt really <laughs> out of nowhere. I don't know if I'm just being kind of a bit picky and pedantic, but the whole thing just felt slightly off to me. And yeah, the first two episodes, I would have preferred it if it had just carried on being that sort of like extras but about me too (laughs) rather Mm. than getting more into like bobby's marriage it feels like it's heading towards a bit of a romance between her and steve coogan's character which i also i'm not too sure about um Mm. yeah just a bit confusing to me overall i think i'm gonna watch the last two just to see where it's going yeah but yeah i don't know Stuff, you, 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 you're basically taking a pin and like stuck the pin in the balloon and like the helium <laughs> is slowly coming out of the balloon and deflating my interest to this because I based I watched the first two episodes I was really high on it after I watched the first two episodes um, last night John C Riley and I didn't know how spoiler we were getting but I feel like he was channeling his uh, Jerry Buss character mm. from the Lakers <laughs> from, from Showtime. And that's, it just felt like it's so, yeah. Cause I was like, that's not John C. Riley. That's like Jerry Buss, but he's like working on a set. It, it was <laughs> Sienna Miller. It, she's like everywhere all of a sudden. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> I, I can say one positive. She's a lot better in this than she was in that awful thing we watched last week. The scandal thing. The, yeah. The anatomy of a scandal. Yeah. <laughs> Episode one to me just felt like it was just very much like there. I did. It didn't sort of have that much effect on me at all. I suppose it was establishing who all these characters were. We were killing off the director in the first scene. And <laughs> um, the second episode, I thought, actually had a bit more bite to it. It sort of has to ro- walk a bit of a tightrope, I suppose, in terms of almost sort of satirising the Me Too movement, which is hard because it's like, it is quite a tough thing to satirise, really, because you don't want to sort of make light of what happened to the people behind it. But at the same time, like, for example satirizing the the concept of a intimacy coordinator in Ashton B's character and uh, and her almost being like a distraction and we have to do this scene quickly so she doesn't sort of interfere with it I I thought that was a, a sort of an intriguing and maybe unique take but if you say Sophie that after this episode it sort of veers away from I think where me myself and Mo thought it was going and and sort of more about the production of this film and and getting the film out there with the intimacy coordinator thing i was a bit sort of unsure about it as well because it feels very specific and maybe a little bit in jokey and perhaps sort of overestimating what most viewers will know Mm. about me too in the film industry like because yeah with the intimacy coordinator there's some dialogue in the episode about you know why intimacy coordinators are necessary but then the whole joke is that the intimacy coordinator they've brought in is really bad and useless and so my worry is that you know a lot of people watching who aren't you know like us you know sort of really interested Mm. in tv and film a lot of people might watch and they don't know what an intimacy coordinator is and what they might take away from the episode is that they're rubbish like that was a concern (laughs) that i had because i feel almost like Steve Coogan and Sarah Soleimani are obviously in that you know entertainment industry world 
perhaps they're sort of thinking like from a perspective of oh everybody knows what an intimacy coordinator is let's put a funny twist on it when in reality I don't think most people do know about what that sort Mm. of thing is like maybe it's slightly overestimating a lot of the viewers and people I'm worried that people might come away from this show being like oh yeah it's a load of woke nonsense they're making fun (laughs) of it do you know what I mean like I did I did see a little bit of that on Twitter people not really getting it um perhaps because yeah it's just it's a lot like it is very nuanced and yeah I think I I also saw a tweet the other day where someone was saying this got very low viewing figures and perhaps that's also to do with how specific the subject Mm. matter is and how it's not something a lot of people in the UK care about that much unfortunately channel four i think is the right place for it because Mm -hmm. i think they think the channel four audience i think is possibly the most discerning of of like the the main channels i think you know if this had gone on bbc one i think less people less of their sort of key audience would have probably understood it Uh, did it make any of you laugh because i don't think i laughed once during this the only time I laughed was when uh, Paul Rudd comes in and then when he leaves and he's playing himself and mm. when he leaves, Steve Coogan says, one of the most unpleasant people I've ever met. Um, yeah. That made me laugh because obviously Paul Rudd's known for being really lovely. But again, is that a bit in-jokey? I don't know. Mm. I, I chuckled a, a few times throughout both episodes. Um, I do feel like perhaps this is one of those shows where it's made for a insider audience. Mm. And if you're close to this world, you can appreciate the jokes and so forth. And I do I do think that they did try to at least balance the sort of me too element and versus the sort of anti woke element. It's a tr- at least I saw an attempt to to you know to mm-hmm. undercut both notions so it, it so you don't walk away thinking oh this this is a chivalry this this whole pure support of me too and and woke and so forth but it it, it does try to have a balanced approach but i do think that if you're not part of the tv industry even you know even in our capacity if you don't have that understanding i don't i think a lot of the things will go over over your head so so that may be perhaps the reason for the lower the lower viewership numbers i think what we're all saying it is very niche i think isn't it i think that's that's sort of what we're getting at and i think i think as well with certainly uk audiences when we see steve coogan i think most people think alan partridge don't they sophie i think that's one of the other things i think maybe internationally he's got more of a range but i think possibly people would think maybe this was going to be a bit broader than it was yeah possibly the character is a little bit partridge in that he's kind of <laughs> trying to trying to say the right thing and but keeps saying the wrong thing there's a sort of element of that to it and yeah the, uh, another bit that made me laugh is where he's talking about yeah his life partner and she goes like mm. oh how old how old is she and he's like almost 25 <laughs> like those bits made me laugh again the sort of the banter between the two of them and the conversations that they're having where he he doesn't quite get where she's coming from a lot of the time i am gonna finish it because i'm interested to see where it goes and i, I encourage you to carry on watching it mo because you might enjoy it a lot more than i did but uh, i'll be interested to yeah, see yeah uh, okay thank you for, for for that yeah you know i immediately when i see think uh, Steve Coogan, I think Alan Partridge, but you know, I'm like this weirdo who just watches a lot too much British television. So it could be, <laughs> that could be my problem. But. I mean, it is an interesting show to check out. And I think it helps if you have got that knowledge of the, the industry as a whole and those sort of aspects to it. Like, as we mentioned, the intimacy coordinator. And I think it is just the fact that it's satirizing such an, a niche topic i think it may alienate some viewers but check it out for yourself it is all on all four now and finally this week we come to uh, the sex lives of college girls which luke brought this up before the title is very sort of misleading isn't it i think he he's sort of very against the title because it's almost very sensationalist for a show that is quite traditional it feels like a weird thing to Google, I found earlier. <laughs> now, this is created by Mindy Calling and Justin Noble. I don't know, did either of you watch Never Have I Ever on Netflix? Because they, they were behind that as well. No, it's on my watch list, but I haven't got around to it yet. Mo? No, I hadn't. I was just more, I knew um, 
Mindy Kaling from the the American version of yeah. The Office and uh, her show on Fox, The Mindy Project. Uh, the Mindy Project. Oh, so that's where I was coming from. Because mm. I had watched, certainly the first season, I was really big on. I thought it was very charming. It was it was a high school show, had a, um, a young Indian protagonist, looked at the loss of a father figure as well. She had recently lost her dad, so it was a there was a lot going on in there. It was very traditional, but had a sort of a fresh edge to it. So this is almost graduating on from this, as the title would suggest. We're at college here and we're focusing on four female freshman roommates at the fictional Essex College in Vermont. Uh, we're introduced here to the four central players. We've got Kimberly, who's played by Pauline Chalamet, who is Timothy Chalamet's sister. Uh, she has to sort of work her way through college. She's uh, come from a working class background, uh, a small, predominantly white Arizona town. Bella, who is an Indian American student, who I believe is probably the uh, Mindy Kaling proxy here, aspiring comedy writer. Let's just say goes to great lengths to get onto the uh, renowned satirical magazine of the college. <laughs> Whitney, who is a um, star soccer player and daughter of a U.S. senator. Uh, who we find out is having an affair with her assistant coach of the football team. And then we've got Leighton, who is a, a legacy student. Her dad went to Essex College and her brother is also there. She initially believes she'll be rooming with her old school friends, but finds out very quickly that they didn't want to room with her. So she sort of reluctantly bonds with uh, the rest of of, of the uh, of the characters. Mo, I'll go to you first. Uh, what what did you make to to the sex lives of college girls? So, are you you asking me this question to draw on my experiences in as college? a college girl? Yeah, well, yeah, as a college, yeah, as a college. <laughs> as some, I I didn't want to make an assumption that you went to college just because you're American, but yeah, d- does it sort of have that authenticity to it? Or I think it's very authentic in terms of your dorming situations. All of those aspects of that are, are true to form. Part of me was like wondering about the size of those dorm rooms, but I was just that was just nitpicking on on, on my part. I think that's but, uh, a TV and movie thing, just generally, <laughs> isn't it? I don't think you should nitpick. I think most college dorms in in sort of screen things I've seen are about the same size. And in, in, in terms of how the four of them are. are kind of bonding kind of not but weirdly enough i went back to fresh meat i don't know why but i went back to fresh meat uh just bringing these three different individuals together each of them dealing with their own things i i love the fact that we are talking about like quote-unquote legacy students and so forth because that's really i i'm not sure if that's a big thing over there but that's a huge thing over here uh, (laughs) okay yeah yeah so so when layton brings up libraries named after a relative of mine you know that's a really big thing over here. They immediately end the episode just kind of revealing, you know, this secret that she's been holding. And it's certainly the secret that maybe it's something that impacted her, her relationships with, you know, her old friends. Uh, but I think I, I was kind of hesitant. I was like wondering why is this episode like 50 some minutes long? And then I feel like at the end of it, we needed enough time to set everything up and to, provide enough time for the audience to get to know the four main characters yeah in like the first 10 minutes or so I wasn't really sure about it because it felt quite broad you know with like all the parents dropping off the kids like it could have been any sort of broad sitcom and to start with the girls feel quite like archetypes Mm. but then as you said the episode's about 50 minutes long and as it goes on I did start to enjoy it a lot more as we get to know a lot more about the girls. Like with Leighton, she's initially this kind of spoiled rich girl. She thought she was going to be sharing a room with her high school friends, but unbeknownst to her, they've decided to kind of cut her out. Uh, And so she's now starts off being a little bit sort of bitchy towards the girls she's rooming with because she's, you know, she wants to be with her so-called friends. Um, But then, yeah, as the episode goes on, she does actually want to befriend them. There's a scene where she's like asking her brother for advice, which I thought was quite sweet. Um, And then, as you said, there's a bit of a twist at the end of the episode, which is like a whole other layer to her character that I wasn't expecting. Um, And similarly with um, the girl from Arizona, like she's the kind of the most naive character. She's got this boyfriend back home 
they haven't slept together because they say they're going to wait till they're married um and then things kind of you know take a turn with her character and she's also got this whole other i guess sort of class element where she's having to work um and yeah quite a few funny lines in the episode i quite liked when um she's kind of having a go at a guy who's like littering in the the coffee shop and she says something about like oh you with your a hundred dollar jeans and he says something like that's not a lot of money to spend on jeans um i thought it was quite funny like you could tell it's you know mindy kaling that sort of comedy um i i did like this i i think i'm gonna watch the next one to see where it goes um is, is her name Bella, the sort of comedy yeah. writer character? Yeah. yeah. She's kind of, I feel, got the most sort of comedic storyline in the first episode. And I'm interested to see where that goes. Because, uh, yeah, as you kind of alluded to before, she gets onto the magazine in a kind of, um, you know, nefarious way. And then when she meets the other girls on the writing staff, they immediately hate her because they know what she's done. So I'm interested to see where her story goes. I can see a lot in her character and the the lead character in Never Have I Ever in terms of their certainly their relationship with sex and things like that. I think, and and in terms of the title as well, I I think it very much is almost a a joke in itself because I think it, it led up to that ver- that very first scene, the very first gag where there's the couple and then you see. Kimberly and her parents drive up and Kimberly's mum has a line towards the the gentleman, let's just say. Were you saying that Bella was the most naive character or that Kimberly was the most naive character? I, because I, I, go on. I, I thought Bella in terms of her, sort of, she has this confidence, but actually she's quite naive about the world. I think they've all got an element of naivety to them. You know, even with, um, with Whitney and her story and then she finds something out about the the guy that she's been seeing, you know, the, there's a naivety there to there almost. I suppose that's the transition from high school to college, isn't it? You think you know everything and it's quickly sort of knocked out of you. But I certainly found that there's almost like a, I suppose, like almost like a goofiness maybe to Bella. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I definitely yeah. saw that. And I think that, you know, it's about all that, the whole notion of her reinventing herself each one of them, you know, starting off at, at a different level of naivete, I would put uh, Kimberly certainly lower than Bella, particularly when she's interacting with her, her co-workers and, and they set her up to make her think that, you know, because they are two people of color, they're coming from these very horrible, tragic backgrounds she, her eyes are quickly open, and that, and I think that that's a great starting point for building out a relationship between her and um and those two two characters. Uh, I do think each one of them, you know, has a, a a bit of trying to figure out figure out themselves. And Sophie, do you think it's a bit weird that this is on ITV two? Yeah, I mean, who knows how HBO Max works nowadays? Like everything seems to be going onto a different channel in the UK. I guess it's just who wants it, really. Mm which feels unusual or it doesn't even come over here at all like we don't have the latest series of search party which used to be on channel four but now it's an hbo max original and we don't get it at all um yeah it's a weird one for itv2 but they i think itv2 had superstore didn't they yes yeah and i'm not i'm not sure who actually watched it but i didn't know it was there and then suddenly it came out on netflix in the uk Mm. and it became huge it's on 10 p.m. as well on Sunday night. It's on tonight, and it's it's leading is Coyote Ugly. <laughs> so there you go. Wait, what? The film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ITV2 does. Yeah, show no, a no, lot no. Of, that's what. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of movies. Um, famous. I think there's a running joke, isn't there, Sophie? To an extent that they do show Hot Fuzz a lot, a lot, and and yeah. Shaun of the Dead. But yeah, no, I think I agree with you guys that um, I I did put the same thing that, that Sophie said, actually, that they seem like cliches. But I think it's a, a mixture of the performance and the writing that they do sort of become more authentic. I, I felt possibly that um, Leighton became friends with them a little bit too quickly. Like it was the one scene that's like, I've bought you all iPads now. Let's be mates. Um, but but generally, yeah, I mean, I, I would say... I. I found it quite forgettable, I have to say. I mean, I watched it almost a week ago now and not a lot of it is stuck with me. I'm glad I made notes. I think the four actresses have got quite good chemistry, which I think you have to have for a show like this when it's an ensemble piece. 
I think maybe it lacked a little bit of focus. I mean, that might be unfair, me comparing it to Never Have I Ever, but it is a very similar, you know, coming-of-age piece from Mindy Calling. So do you think it will find an audience over here, Sophie? Probably not on ITE2, particularly, <laughs> I guess, they're aiming for you know, people who are that sort of age. But then even then, who uses the ITV hub? Like, definitely <laughs> not young people. <laughs> like, I don't think anyone does. It's like a last resort where you have to sit through millions of adverts. Yeah, I mean, hopefully there's some word of mouth, you know. It's a lot more relatable than something like Euphoria in terms mm. of, you know, representation of young people. So I appreciated that. Yeah, because I, I think I always say with something like Euphoria it creates like teenagers who are a lot more wordy and a lot more thoughtful than teenagers actually are. Like I always say like teenagers are absolute idiots. And that's why sort of I gravitated towards something like um, In My Skin, for example, because I think that was a good Mm. sort of representation of teenagers. You know, they're not like giving these long monologues and thinking about what happened to them in the past. They are just being silly and and playing around with the mates most of the time and yeah I, I and Luke was saying to me actually ITV2 have recently are going to be showing like old episodes of the OC as well so I don't know if they are trying to sort of appeal to a younger audience not be seen as that channel that is just you know constant films constant reshows of hot fuzz and things like that and I'm wondering if perhaps it's buried on ITV2 right now and at some point HBO Max is going to, you know, break out of just North America. Mm. And at that point, once HBO Max proper comes over there, maybe it will find a new audience when it's under the HBO Max umbrella. I think I saw something about this a few weeks ago about how there are some sort of long term plans to launch HBO Max in the UK. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure how well that will work, though, because, you know, obviously, like, we all know HBO on a bigger level. I don't think it's got much brand recognition in the UK because it's not one of our channels. Like, I think, you know, most people have Netflix and maybe like Disney Plus. And I often tell people to get Now TV. I guess that's called Now. Now, isn't yeah. it? Wow. I tell people I tell people to get Now and they're like, why? And I say, oh, it has all the HBO stuff on there. And they're like what's that because they don't know what hbo is um so I, i'm not sure how well it will go if hbo max does launch in the uk or if it will be a bit niche it'll be a bit like the the peacock launch i think you know no. that was very soft probably it's probably going to be one of two things like in my mind once you get like the game the new game of thrones you can start and and, and by the time that it launches outside north america i think you can just promote it on the back of like, here's the list of shows that are on HBO Max mm-hmm. and and maybe talk about, you know, because because they're going to be pulling whatever those random shows that they're selling Pete to other networks right now to get cash or whatever. They're going to bring them home. And and once they're all under that, um, that HBO Max umbrella, you can just start promoting based on X, Y or Z. And, and especially if you're going to promote based on like your DC entertainment properties as well i i think that the strength of hbo max going abroad will be its franchises and ip i suppose it will be more this is what you get if you get hbo max rather than the brand perhaps i think that's yes. you know, people see as mo said the game of thrones spin-off and um other sort of big names because at the moment most of the hbo stuff as you said sophie goes straight to sky atlantic doesn't it and um other sky i know they've got sky comedy now and things like that but most of it does does land upon sky atlantic sex lives of college girls which we were talking about a while ago uh is um itv2 i believe it's gonna be airing weekly but don't quote me on that it might all be on the itv hub okay so that's it um guys you want to just uh, tell us where people can find you on twitter oh no? you can find yeah, I'll go for it. Sorry. I was, I, hey, look, I was being a gentleman. I was, you know, I, I just, you can find me at Dr. Mo77 on Twitter. Um, and you can find me at It's Sophie Davis on Twitter. And I am at Mets TV Bytes. The site is at Luke Custard TV. As I said, we're very sort of low on content this week, but 
Luke did review Russian Doll, so if you want to uh, check out his opinions as well, uh, they're on there now. Uh, the podcast you can get on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. Please rate, review and subscribe. Uh, we will be back same time next week uh, talking, among other things, the new season of Barry, talking about HBO again. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening and goodbye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. Deck your home with blinds.com DIY or let us install Free design consultation Plus free samples and free shipping. Free, 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 free. Ho, ho, ho. Blinds.com invented a better way to buy custom high-quality window treatments with no showroom mock-ups or waiting around for quotes from pushy salespeople, saving you time and money for the holidays with upfront pricing right on our website. Go right now to Blinds.com. Satisfaction guaranteed. Satisfaction guaranteed. Shop Blinds.com's Green Monday sale. Get up to 45% off plus doorbuster deals. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.